Hey guys, this is Keris from Fitter Food. And no, you're not going mad. It's Keris, not Matt this time. It is my first ever podcast, well, my first ever podcast intro. Um, but don't worry and don't turn off. I'm not here just waffling away by myself. I've actually got an awesome guest on the show. Um, today, I've got Barry Murray joining me. And he is a endurance athlete and nutritionist that I recently met at a Matt Lovell conference. Hello, Barry. Hey, Keris, how's it going? Not too bad, not too bad. Thank you so much for joining me. And sorry that Matt is missing out on this conversation, but obviously he can catch up with us at some point. I met you at um, the Matt Lovell Endurance Symposium um, a couple of weeks ago, and I absolutely loved your talk about, well, it's pretty much endurance nutrition, but with a paleo foundation, which was fantastic to see. If you remember, I dashed over to you at the end, grabbed your details, asked you quite a few questions and said, please come on our podcast. It would be awesome to have you. Um, and I remember also you promised you'd send me one of your books, which you did, and I received it. And if I was going to write a cookery book uh, myself, it would pretty much be like what you, you guys did. Oh, fantastic. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> you did email. Apparently, you've got an amazing burger recipe, which we're going to ask you to share at the very end of the show. Okay, Definitely. no problem. Baz's Burgers. Cool. Well, if you could kick off just by telling us um, just a little bit about yourself, um, you know, your background. I've just been on your website and there's some amazing stuff on there. So just sort of how you got into fitness um, and what you've been up to over the last few years. Yeah, basically background is um, I studied chemistry, biochemistry in college. And um, at the time in Ireland, the pharmaceutical business was a big industry and um, they were getting lots of grants and stuff from the government anyway it was a good work opportunity so I went in and I was a production chemist formulation chemist um, in a big pharmaceutical company for about six years anyway to cut a long story short I lost interest in the corporate world and working predominantly in an office-based kind of a job which it was although I was doing a lot of lab work as well but anyway um my interest was always always into health and fitness and um and nutrition of course and I was a footballer you know when I was growing up in my teens and um anyway to cut a long story short somebody told me about this place in England called Loughborough University where they were doing masters in sports nutrition so sent in my application and anyway got accepted, packed in, packed the bags, jacked in the good job, the well-paid job and mm -hmm. uh, became a student again. Um, probably a lot of people listening to this have thought about leaving their job and going back to college and but and not a lot of people actually do it as you know. Um, so anyway, I did it and I then did a master's in sports and exercise nutrition in Loughborough. That kind of opened up the big doors to me to the world of kind of athletes and sports and, and everything from nutrition to physiology to, to training to, you know, all aspects of kind of an athlete's world and an athlete's lifestyle. So I spent, after I graduated, I actually spent another two or three years living in Loughborough and um, kind of started up my own little clinic in a health food store. I worked part-time in that same health food store, which actually was a great kind of apprenticeship for learning about everything from herbal teas to <laughs> vitamins to um you know all the sports supplement range and good for you. when you say that because i've always thought it'd be a good place to work somewhere like revital or planet organic because you get a really great idea of all the new products coming out and you know sort of what's on what's on the shelves yeah it is actually i'd actually recommend it to anyone who's inter interested in becoming a any sort you know whatever nutritionist or any sort of health practitioner is is um, yeah, work in a health food store because you you just you're exposed to all you know all the information. I was reading the backs of you know the labels and the product information on everything that came in the door, and it really just kind of um, gave me a great knowledge base about everything from grains, you know, everything from from uh, um, from vitamins to herbs to you know foods. So anyway, over those years, I worked more and more with different types of athletes, like everything from sprinters to rugby players to hockey players to cyclists to runners were you I, training at this time yourself as well were you or yeah so when I was at Loughborough I was kind of still in my triathlon kind of days where I had competed for a few years before I was in Loughborough and then I was continuing to train but not really competing at triathlons but I was still kind of swimming in the morning and then doing my my bike or run sessions in the afternoon but anyway to cut a long story short I got more and more into the running particularly trail running and I was going up to like the Yorkshire Dales and then I was going up to the Lakeland district and that got me into the real mountain trail running and eventually into the ultra ultra distance ultra marathon uh, running so that's where I kind of that's when I started my kind of 
running ultra running career was, was over there in Loughborough but anyway um what was your nutrition like um I mean what sort of guidance are you given when you're doing a master's is it very much sort of a bit old school sports nutrition so whole grains and high carb that sort of stuff yeah um unfortunately a lot of I mean it's a lot of it is the conventional wisdom which I now call it is very much um you know most athletes athletes and the nutrition is based on a, a higher much higher carbohydrate diet and um, it's all based on the fact that you need glucose to produce energy they then focus on protein and protein synthesis and mTOR and all of the things that go with uh, recovery and muscle growth and muscle repair and that's all oh that's good and generally pretty you know they're basically what a master's tells you is that you need carbohydrate and protein um <laughs> and they forget i mean about fat. <laughs> fat. yeah so the biggest macronutrients that we need to eat they actually don't really tell you that much about they basically tell you that you you know athletes shouldn't be eating it basically wow um, what sort of percentages are they recommending for sort of carbs is it like 60 40 to 60 or is you know, they basically uh, they used to base it on percentages, and now they've gone more to kind of grams per kilo of body weight. So um, yeah. you know, generally it was like sixty to seventy percent, but then then it's more like I mean, uh, there's still still in in the books for like say full time endurance elite endurance athletes, they're looking at ten to twelve grams per kilo of body weight. So just put that in perspective. If you're seventy kilos, that's wow. seven hundred grams of carbohydrate a day. Wow. A day. That, I mean, if people still don't probably know what that is in food. That's <laughs> 10 big bowls, massive bowls of porridge a day. You know? Yeah. Oh, my God. So, I mean, I remember actually trying to do something like, I don't know, 7 or 8 grams per kilo body weight as a kind of a carb-loading day before a big race. And I couldn't even eat. I remember, like, I, was, I just couldn't even actually eat the amount of, of carbohydrates that that equated to. And surely, um, surely that impacted on your gut, like, you know, just before racing as well, and you must have felt quite bloated or, or, we, or was well, digesting fine. Well, it depends. Paris, as you know, on the type of carbohydrate you're eating. So I mean, yeah. if you're going to eat 10 bowls of pasta, there's probably going to be a much higher instance of, of GI issues. But if you're eating, like, potato, rice and fruit, maybe not so much, you know. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, where was I? So no, I just so I was saying that that's the standard sort of um, protocols you were taught during your MSc. So um, obviously, how did how did did you sort of come across paleo or primal nutrition and start to rethink the things that you've been taught during the MSc? Yeah. So after I graduated, I just started to go back and learn more and more about the basic nutrition because, like, I was coming out of the masters with all the kind of technical stuff related to kind of like Krebs cycle and protein synthesis and things like that, but. I was kind of like, well, well, what is a monosaccharide and what is an amino acid? And people, you know, people forget that you have to really understand and learn basics and the fundamentals of kind of nutrition in order to really understand what's going on. So that's what I started going back and doing. And then I started learning more and more. I started like initially looking at the sports websites I was actually learning a lot for more were bodybuilding websites. So I would, because I found that the bodybuilders were way ahead of um, kind of your standard sports nutrition stuff like, you know, let's say the, the Gatorade websites and, and all that kind of stuff, which is obviously they're supported and very much, you know, a sugar-driven industry. But yeah, and they're sponsored slightly. <laughs> slightly. But what I will say is the bodybuilding websites, um, they're, you know, the bodybuilders way ahead in terms of their nutrition. So Yeah, of course. Um, I started looking at bodybuilding websites and then I started looking at just normal, let's say, kind of like non-sports-related websites. So I was just looking up like chefs and I was looking up then a lot of the American kind of, um, let's call them like gurus, um, um, I was working. I was looking up guys like Johnny Bowden. I don't know if you've come across him before. Yeah, I'm not not I like not in depth, but I know the name and I know a lot of. Again, I think it's a lot of bodybuilders mention his name, so they follow him quite a lot. And then guys like Charles Poliquin. Um, I was yeah, getting, his I was getting the guys that were not full full time, like just fully bodybuilding guys. They were kind of like like they were kind of strength and power based like athletes and coaches and nutritionists, but they were. You know, dealing with the the normal public as well, and precision nutrition, which is John Baradi. Yeah, yeah, I love his stuff. He's great. Yeah, so 
I was learning. I was starting to read all their stuff, and I was like, "Whoa, these guys! These guys know a bit more, and it's not just like eat loads of carbs and um, and don't eat any fat." So, and then, like I said, I was learning just more and more from just from more kind of health practitioners, and um, that's where I came across Lorian Cordain and a lot of his stuff. What do you think about his stuff now? Because I know there's a bit of a backlash because he was the original. He sort of developed the original paleo diet, um, but it's different to what exists today. And in terms of fats, he was actually pretty much more into almost a leaner version of paleo. So it was lean meats. Um, it's quite big on monosaturated fats. But as I remember it, he was against saturated fat. Yeah, so that's kind of... like You know what? I think he's actually since turned that on, on its head. I think... Has he released a more updated version of, since then of, the paleo, of his book? Yeah, I'd seen that recently. I have so many now. I've stopped buying them <laughs> because yeah. you anyway, I think anyway. To long story short, over yeah. recent years, that he has turned that he has turned himself has he? around. That's that awesome. And because back when he wrote the initial paleo diet, there was so much like they still hadn't really through the whole saturated fat and cardiovascular disease and saturated fat and, and obesity stuff. Yeah. Um, but now in recent years they have and there's lots of studies showing that there's no you know, links between that. Um, I mean, so, that, that must have been for him because I remember when I read, I started reading about paleo, I was still really nervous and you said this in the talk, which I loved. You said it, it sort of goes against what you've been taught for like the last 30 years, um, you know, with eat more butter, eat more fat. And it is really hard, even if you've seen the science, to think that actually this isn't going to make me fat. So exactly. I can see why so he was a bit that. nervous about sort of going back on that. Yeah, it's very much a mindset. I think what I always try and explain to people is that it's very much the biggest challenge for people to eat in this sort of a way is to actually change your thinking and change your mindset. And because of what you've been programmed to think since you've pretty much been born, even though, you know, I think I said this in my, in, in my talk is that, you know, I understand the theory kind of pretty in depth, but still sometimes, you know, over recent years, I was still going really good for me. You know what I mean? So, um, <laughs> Anyways, uh, yeah, I tell you what did initially make me kind of not a bit wary, but just a bit questionable about the whole, you know, is this paleo thing good? I then read The Paleo Diet for Athletes, which Laurie and Cordain co-wrote with, with a triathlon coach called Joel, um, I forget his name. But anyway, it's called The Paleo Diet for Athletes. Yeah, yeah, we've got that somewhere. I remember some. I did, I did summarize it for a few of my um, marathon clients. Um, yeah. just as a now, general build up to a race and post-workout stuff I was fine with most of it but then I was like they were then advocating and saying well you know during and after it's okay to have you know bagels and <laughs> yeah add loads of glucose and dextrose to you know make up a you know 80 gram uh, bottle of whatever for recovery with glucose and, and maltodextrin you know and I was kind of like paleo I like the principles, etc. And they're already changing the rules, you know. Over recent years, there's been a lot of rules changed with the whole paleo thing. I mean, you've got the big paleo experts like, say, Rob Wolf are making their own cocktails out of tequila, uh, out of alcohol, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, you've got, you know, all the paleo gurus, let's call them, you know, making all sorts of different desserts and... You've got, um, you've got primal shakes now, primal <laughs> protein yeah, shakes. Primal shakes. You've got bulletproof <laughs> coffee. I mean, I don't know how many cavemen were drinking bulletproof coffee. <laughs> you know, this is where this is where you can get very um, cynical of what paleo stands for, um, which is why I actually don't, and I, I think you guys are the same. Is that I don't I don't call myself a paleo nutritionist. I just say. I use paleo as a template, and I even call it like paleo esque, you know. Yeah, we're paleo ish, so it's all yeah, 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 yeah. So <laughs> that's the kind. Of, so anyway, so that's how I got into it all. Over, I would actually got into it all after I graduated. After I learned what I thought I needed to know about nutrition, and <laughs> then started really learning. Think <laughs> I started really learning. Then uh, I spent about yeah. I'm still doing. I'm still learning. I mean, I graduated how many about five or six years ago now. And I'm still reading and learning every day. But anyways, um, that's, I spent... That's actually one of... Because um, I did Paula Quinn's biosignature, and one of his key pieces of advice was book out a day a week to learn because everything changes yeah. so like consistently and, and quickly. You've got to keep abreast of everything and, and get all the new books as they're coming out, read the new scientific literature. And I thought it was a great piece of advice. 
Yeah, exactly. Totally. I mean, the ones, I mean, unfortunately, a lot of the like good doctors and good dietitians today, unfortunately, are not looking are not looking and continuously learning about what the latest stuff is. They're basing all their advice and their, and their recommendations on what they learned in the books from, from university. But as most people know, things related to health and the body change. Yeah, <laughs> so um, you, you need to continuously educate yourself about those things. And, um, okay. I, you know, I don't think I'll... I mean, I'm, I'm looking at this stuff more than most and I still don't know. I'm nowhere near knowing it all. And I still have lots of stuff I need to learn learn about and read up on and understand and it's all it's always going to be like that you know yeah no definitely and so did you start to implement some of the things um on yourself first and and within your own training before sort of making recommendations to clients i guess this kind of finish, hopefully this will finish off um my 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 story but uh <laughs> i yeah so a few years in um Loughborough, um, started actually taking on clients officially and these were all pretty good athletes that were based around Loughborough and um, I yeah I started looking into things like um, you know like using a more of a paleo-ish kind of a diet doing things like trying to take out you know wheat and gluten from people's diets and then looking at things like uh, like things like protein timing and things like that and then looking at things like you know what insulin does and then going, okay, maybe I'll start doing things like having just a low carbohydrate meal at certain times or and then I started looking into the whole fat adaptation thing and saying, okay, maybe the big bowl of porridge and banana before my big cycle ride on a Saturday, let's let's actually change that. Um, so I was doing this both with, mainly with myself. I was doing a lot of the more advanced things with myself first. <laughs> I would use myself as the guinea pig and then um, either with kind of just friends and athletes that were close to me and that understood, I would discuss it with them. Because um, that was the other great thing is that, you know, you know, a lot of people I would know were either physiologists or, or nutritionists themselves. So then you could... You could you could be you could discuss the science of things and then people would try out things more. But um, so yeah, anyways, yeah, I was trying it out a lot on myself and then a lot with just kind of close other other close kind of friends who were also kind of you know health exercise practitioners, you know. And one of the things I remember you mentioned, which was great in the in the presentation, is you said that when you're transitioning an athlete, you do it really slowly, which, because I'm a bit of a, I sort of go in, and like you, if I was doing it on myself, I'd just go all guns in, all guns blazing and just change something. Um, but you were saying you're really, really careful to sort of step down carbohydrates and gradually taper up the fats. One of the big things I've been doing with, so endurance athletes is, anyway, to, yeah, my, when I am, um, in my last few years, my last year and few years in Loughborough, I started working more and more with, with cyclists and triathletes and endurance-based athletes, uh, Ironman runners, and I started looking into more and more fat adaptation and how the body can switch from being relying on carbohydrate as its energy fuel to relying as much as it can be on fats. And so this is a massive, massive area, massive strategy, massive protocol involved, and it's called fat adaptation. Um, Anyway, it's becoming more and more uh, public and known now, but um, it's still very much misunderstood and people think it's just like, well, don't eat any more carbs and just eat sticks of butter and um, steak and eggs and you're fine. It doesn't work like that. Um, Just to put some kind of context around it, there's 26 enzymes and transporters to convert the fatty acid into acetyl coenzyme A, which is the precursor, precursor for making ATP in the Krebs cycle. So 26 enzymes and transporters need to be switched on and built and work well together. Um, so it doesn't happen overnight. So that's why the adaptation for to get a body, a human body, to get your body cares to switch from being a carbohydrate burner into metabolizing fatty acids and getting all the switches and the enzymes and transporters and etc etc switched on takes several months for the average person and if you want to get into elite performance it takes years 
Do you know what? It's funny because um, I think a lot of people, I mean, we work with people, um, you know, sort of just everyday people who want to switch on to, um, you know, sort of a, a paleo foundation. And the way that we do it is we're trying to sort of get them now to, like you've sort of said, not change the macronutrient um, ratios initially now, but actually just change the source of the macronutrients. So like we were just saying earlier, rather than having pasta, just switch to rice and potatoes. So we've got wheat and gluten out of the picture um, and adapt. But there are some people that we see, um, you know, even over a course of, of um, a couple of months, they're still saying it's like their body's still scrabbling for energy and they just can't find it. So with people like that and, and with your athletes, have you ever recommended supplements that might sort of support the process, um, like things like carnitine? Or, or do you tend to just say give it give it longer or, or slow down the conversion, um, the adaptation process? I used to be really into my supplements and um, I've probably tried, you know, myself and uh, using myself for, as a guinea pig. And between the research and between uh, using supplements and between using supplements with clients and stuff like that and athletes, I've realized that very few of them or very few of them actually have any sort of a, particularly when you're just talking about a general exercising regularly, okay? If they're diseased or have been tested for a specific deficiency, that's when maybe the supplements can come into play. But for your average person that you're dealing with, Karis, and certainly for the, like, I'm dealing mainly with, like, full-time athletes, they don't generally need supplements. And what I call, what I do is I focus on, obviously, nutrition, but I've focused more and more on the other lifestyle aspects that are inhibiting, let's say, metabolic pathways, okay? So let's say they're eating loads of sweet potato and rice and all the best, you know, uh, wild um, caught salmon and extra virgin coconut oil and they're in bed using their iPhone or their laptop which is disrupting melatonin production which is disrupting their uh, circadian cycle which is disrupting insulin sensitivity and cortisol patterns during the during the day just to name a few things right yeah that's probably why they're feeling they've low energy okay so um there's always generally what I'm trying to say is it's not taking more carnitine or taking a different type of whey protein or having more vitamin c or bitter melon extract or whatever i guarantee you people can make themselves healthier and have more energy not just changing the way they eat but changing the way they live joe i'm so glad you said that because i um i did a presentation um we did an, a, a fit of food academy last weekend and um i presented on stress and adrenal health and I did a few slides, like three, four slides on sleep. Um, and I put some of the studies up about, um, you know, exposure to light can suppress melatonin by 50%. And and I kept thinking, I wonder if anyone, because it's not really exciting stuff to be told to go to bed earlier. No. You know, there's nothing really funky about that. You can't sell it in a bottle. And I came away and thought, I wonder if I told anyone, you know, you know, sounded you know revolutionary or whatever in any way but it was just as the basic stuff that I see so many people missing and I'm so glad that you've said it um about getting an early night about having sleeping in a dark room not sort of watching tv in bed or sat on your your ipad do you tend to recommend obviously for what you're doing so you're now doing ultra marathons are you getting like um sort of 10 11 hours sleep because you must surely need more than the standard eight hours I mean I think Okay, so for starters, what you said is absolutely 100% correct. And I actually now would rank probably as the number one aspect of anyone, of an average person's health or an athlete performance because when everything happens in terms of how the body functions, it's all related to your sleep pattern. Now, there's a book I'm reading at the moment that I would recommend everyone to read. It'll change your whole or change your whole thoughts and could change your life if you understand it. It's called Light. It's called Lights Out, and it's by an author called T. S. Wiley. It was actually written in two, the year two thousand, so almost fifteen years ago. Mm. And basically, what they were saying back then is all the things that people are only copying on to now, and that's that how your circadian rhythm and sleep affects your metabolism, affects your hormones, affects the way you function um and sleep is very individual as well um i don't think there's a standard set of uh sleep i think there's a range of sleeping hours that people can op that people operate in and it's also seasonal so um 
you're we're supposed to sleep more in the winter, right? Because it's, it's related to your exposure to light. The more light you have, the more um, generally the more energy that that allows you to have, and that means then that you are able to stay awake for more hours of the day. In other words, summer, um, you really, I mean, you can get away with six hours sleep um, in the summer. Um, in the winter, you need maybe eight or nine hours sleep. So I would probably range the sleep requirements between kind of like six and ten hours. But again, it can be very individual. Someone might operate very well on seven and a half hours sleep in the winter, and another person might need nine and a half hours sleep. If you, you need to just use the general kind of um, the general kind of principles in that you get your circadian rhythm in a routine so that you go to bed and wake at similar times. Biohack or hack your sleep in terms of eliminating artificial blue lights the electromagnetic frequencies, everything to do with Wi-Fi, iPads, iPhones, etc., etc., etc. You sleep in a darkened room, and then you just, yeah, you let the body find out what it needs in terms of sleep. You don't go, oh, God, I didn't sleep 11 hours tonight. I only slept nine and a half. Oh, that means I'm not going to have that much energy today. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And what's your take on um, napping as well? Because that's um, a question we get frequently. And I'm sort of a bit like you. I say, listen to your body's feedback. I know there's just been times where I, I just know I've needed a nap. Generally, I try not to because of that disruption to the circadian rhythm. What's your take on them? There's good evidence showing how napping can improve things like insulin sensitivity and um, a few other. I mean, there's, there's there's like it's like everything in nutrition. There's like everything in health and 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 performance. And there are pros and cons, and it works for some and might not work for others. Personally, again, I don't feel the requirements ever to nap. There are other people and other athletes, and particularly like say professional cyclists that I work with they'll train most mornings between the hours of nine and lunchtime and then they'll might nap at like in late late in the evening or the afternoon fine but um so again I'm kind of like has got has been shown to have good benefits do you have to do it do you if you do it and you feel good fine um so it really is one of those kind of things of trying it out makes you feel really good go for it there's evidence to show that it's good for you there's no evidence to show that everybody needs to do it. So just um, quickly, you're working predominantly with athletes at the moment. So you've mentioned professional cyclists. Um, what sort of other range of, of athletes are you working with? Yeah, so maybe I'll try and just very quickly finish off my... Your story. Uh, we're still on my, <laughs> my, my intro, but, uh, but this will tie in exactly what, what you just asked me. I kind of then really started specialising in cycling and like elite professional cyclists and I... Cut a long story short, I started working with like a lot of good cyclists in the UK and in Ireland, and then I got a contact through a friend of mine and put me in touch with a rider from um, Team Sky. Then I started working with him one-to-one. He then transferred teams from Team Sky to BMC, and he put me in touch with uh, one of the kind of directors of the team. Anyway, to cut a long story short, they wanted to take me on, so I signed a contract with them two years ago. So that's BMC um, for people who are following professional cycling. And I got a 12-month contract with them. So I actually packed my bags and um, headed over to Italy to live just outside Florence in Tuscany. So that was just two years ago. And I spent, uh, I'm just actually back from Italy now. I'm back in Ireland. But um, I was working full-time with the BMC professional cycling teams, traveling with the team to races and training camps and working one-to-one with all the riders. And that lasted 12 months, like I said. Then my contract came to an end, and I went back to kind of working kind of independently, and I was still just taking on the odd kind of individual professional rider, and then just opened open up on my online consultancy to everyone, and I was mainly attracting like people like um, other cyclists and triathletes and Ironman, and then I, because of my ultra running, I started other ultra marathon runners and things like that, and I, my name became known for the whole kind of fat adaptation and stuff so you know I was getting a lot of people from all around the world basically from the states and Australia and South Africa even uh, people just looking me up and coming on booking online with me and um, you know doing consults and me writing reports and programs for them so um, uh, yeah so um, now I'm working full-time mainly with uh, pro cyclists individual pro cyclists with, with different teams then just a couple of other kind of serious uh, athletes who are 
either runners or cyclists and that are just into their whole general health and paleo and performance and fat adaptation and all that kind of stuff so um yeah so that's basically where i am now <laughs> so how would you um if, if someone approaches you and they want to do sort of a, a paleo foundation for anything like a, an ultra marathon or something how are your recommendations different then because you mentioned so before we were talking about 10 grams of carbs per kilo of of body of body weight so where where do you sit now with macronutrients so the, i like it's the very thing we said is like it's a big gradual change and it's um it takes time and um so you know i'm running 50 mile 100 mile ultramarathon races now at the moment and i'm probably i'm probably operating on a daily basis of something like on average of 100 grams of carbohydrate a day and i guess what is is in terms of you know that's from <laughs> that was like one gram or two grams uh per kilo of my body weight so um you know i've reduced the carbohydrate recommendations 10 and what that means is that i've upregulated the upregulated the whole fat adaptation process but uh, as i said it take, that's that's done over time and it takes a long time to do what comes in line with that and what what some people forget to do is a massive intake of fat has to has to happen in in conjunction with a lower uh, carbohydrate intake so you become an athlete that's able to eat a huge amount of fat doesn't need to eat much, that much fruits and pastas and breads and uh, rices etc and can eat a huge amount more of um, the stuff that we're told that's bad for us and feel really well and and so what would a talk us through like a typical day of, of um i mean so are you doing these how often are you doing these um races across the year depends but i mean basically race season is kind of like i guess between april and um, october you know what would you do for, I was going to say, talk through a typical day, but then also give us some, some of your race day nutrition, because I'm sure the people out there that are still carb loading would love to know. Obviously, you've sort of mentioned don't just switch to, to fat loading, because that could be disastrous, but um, how you would sort of build up the nutrition for a race. Yeah, so I don't do any carbohydrate loading anymore. I mean, I, I'd say I'm running a 100-kilometer race the day before. I eat three meals only. Yeah, I mean, my last race, what did I do? I, uh, my day before the race, I would have something like an eggs and bacon or sausage type breakfast and then in the at lunchtime I'd have um, I would make my own uh, burgers actually which we need I need to talk about um, <laughs> I have like burgers with, with salad and then in the evening I'll have either fish or more red meats with, with some char grilled kind of vegetables and avocado and maybe some mozzarella cheese and things like that I don't eat any snacks I wouldn't like I said, I wouldn't count my carbs or anything, and it, in fact, I wouldn't even be, really be eating that much carbs the day before. Along with my whole fat adaptation thing, is I've looked into fasting a lot. I would do a lot of my training on empty, which means I don't eat beforehand, and I get up and I go for my runs or cycles um, without any breakfast. So. I started then running my ultramarathon races on empty as well. So I would get up and just have coffee in the morning and then I would go and run. That again is tie, is kind of turning a lot of things on its head as well because it goes against the whole breakfast is the most important thing, part of the day, etc., etc. And um, your liver is empty, your glycogen in the morning, etc., etc. So um, what I described to you there in terms of what I eat and how I you know, that I don't eat breakfast and all that kind of stuff, I wouldn't recommend anyone do that <laughs> until you've spent months changing your diet, changing the way you eat, becoming more paleo-esque, allowing the adaptations to happen, changing your lifestyle, improving all the lifestyle factors from sleep to light to grounding to everything else. And it's a, it's a long journey to get there. And what about um, sort of in these longer events, are you taking anything on? So when you're doing on 100 miles, I know someone told me that there's a race in Scotland that the winner is a woman and she normally takes on, I think it's something like kettle chips wrapped in, in white bread um, all throughout the race. That's all she eats and she wins it every year. And a lot, of, a lot of people mention stories like that to me and say the only way you could do these sorts of events is to have sort of, you know, take on pure glucose during, an, during a race. What do you have, or are you completely fasting for most of them? Yeah, there's two things here. First of all, um, the big myth, myth that is comes with the whole lower carb, higher fat, paleo-esque type way of eating for athletes is that you have to just you can't eat carbs during your race, and that you have to eat just like you know sticks of butter and cheese and um, 
almond butter and cashew nuts and things like that, and that's all you can eat. Because then, if you if if you have any bananas or 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 you know dried fruit or carbs or anything that this switches off fat burning, it doesn't. The biggest thing people need to understand is that insulin remains dormant during exercise. In other words, you can eat a banana and it doesn't spike insulin and shut off your fat burning. The second thing is that during exercise. One of the things that goes empty in terms of one of the things that runs out of fuel more so than the muscle is the brain. And the brain fuels predominantly on glucose. Okay, there are ketones which can be produced and can fuel the brain. But when you're racing, particularly during something like ultramarathon that could be, let's say it is a 100-mile race, I mean, you're looking at over 20 hours for the top guys to finish that, depending on the type of race it is. So... I mean, I ran the Lakeland 100 three years ago, and I came second, but I finished in 22 hours. So my brain is going to be using a lot of glucose during that time. Yes, it's going to be using ketones as well, but it's going to be needing to be fueled. And what's the best thing to fuel it with is simple glucose. And what does that come in the form of is simple carbohydrates. So I have no problems, you you know, eating, you know, bits of bananas, dried dates. Um, I mean, I've, I've even had bring things like just like, jelly you know i'd even have just like jelly babies sometimes and because it's not that i'm having this food to fuel my muscle because i know i understand the health my my body is fueling itself in terms of you know fat adaptation it's the reason that people feel like they need to have sugars during it is more so to do with keeping the the head fueled and keeping your central governor which is your brain so there's no problem with fueling the only thing uh, uh, using carbohydrates during exercise the only thing i would always recommend is to try and keep it as natural i don't you know for instance like i've run ultramarathons without any gels or sports drinks that goes against like most people are like have a yeah, gel every definitely. 30 minutes and drink you know 50 grams of sports drink every hour all I was doing was just using pieces of fruit and dried fruit and, and some sweets and some chocolate even and and then I would I would have other things like you know bits of dried meat and cheese and I would make my own kind of almond butter coconut oil based energy balls I think you guys have them in your in your um in your book do you yeah we just got, we've got various versions of things like uh, just using coconut oil and desiccated coconut and yeah. cashew butter and yeah with just like fat balls yeah. that you can just take really easily yeah so i would use a lot of kind of like natural let's call it like higher medium chain um shorter chain fats like yeah you know nut butters and coconut oils and things like that but i'm not afraid when i feel like i need something sweet or something sugary to eat that during a, a hard long race so you know there's no problems with that and it doesn't shut down fat burning and it's you know not going to hurt it's not going to hurt you and is it the same for because like you um when i read paleo diet for athletes i was a bit disappointed in that the outcome was a bit like around a race you you need these these sort of massively high carb foods like um it had to be things like bagels and anything that would spike insulin so what you're just saying is that actually although you want to take the glucose on you're not going for sort of um you know processed refined sources and is that same for for post-workout you pretty much stick to you might just have rice or something like that you're not having to have these you know sort of refined products because i think his argument was you needed the flour-based products to get that level of carbohydrates in into the body really quickly um during like i said it's just using natural natural based sugar natural sugars made like fruit based sugars um the other thing it depends on the race carries i mean if it's like you know a 10k run i wouldn't have anything or after in terms yeah. of carbohydrate um if you know it's only and if it's even if it's something like an hour or two hours even i don't use anything during I mean, I've run hard kind of three, four-hour races without without anything. So it all depends on how fat adapted you are, and all depends on the intensity and the and the duration of the race. But um, for recovery, again, my overall in carbohydrate intake is not doesn't need to be high. So I might just have like a piece of fruit after something long and hard. Then I might just have some sweet potato with my lunch. If you really need to have a bigger hit of carbohydrate for whatever reason, because you're not that fat adapted, or you've done a half Ironman or an Ironman race, 
the easiest way and the quickest way to and to get unrefined carbohydrates in is just have fruit juices or actual fruits. Um, you don't need to have anything flowery, but um, you know something like pineapple juice or grapefruit juice is, is as high in sugars as any uh, bagel is. You know. And like, uh, one thing I should probably point out to people is um, you're incredibly lean. I think did you say you were six percent body fat? I, I think I'm probably hovering around eight. Eight eight percent. So it's not like you're using um, fat stores really to to fuel these workouts, as it were, because you you kindly um, mentioned to Matt Lovell that he could probably what was the distance you thought he could run based on his fat stores, which is <laughs> an amazing calculation that people could do and actually understand they don't really need to fuel exercise. Uh, I think people have got that wrong, um, you know, there's this idea that we've got to eat to be able to get to the gym and, um, and give ourselves the energy for our workout. Uh, the easiest way to just make it simple is if you're a 70 kilo person, which is quite light, obviously, but you're 10% body fat, which is quite lean, you've got seven kilos of, of fuel in terms of, in terms of fat. You convert seven kilos into calories, and it works out at around sixty-three thousand calories. Um, which, you know, if you're burning five hundred calories an hour, that can obviously keep you going for a lot of hours. More, more than just two or three hours that people think they need energy every to take in energy. You know, every two to three hours to keep them to keep them energized when they've got most people have got, you know. 500 hours worth or more of energy <laughs> a um, lot of gym sessions <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 so you know we're our bodies are loaded with energy the biggest problem is what we've done is we've shut down the body's capability to use our biggest fuel source and that's fats um, and the other thing that people need to remember is that fats is not just the stuff that's under the skin that we can pinch athlete people who train particularly endurance athletes have a massive fat storage in the muscle called intramuscular triglycerides imtg it's that is short is the shorthand version and that's the marbly stuff that you'll see in your nice uh, ribeye steak and that's you know we can store a lot of that as well so again if you allow the body to use that by not inhibiting the the fat process and you've got loads of fat in the muscle to burn and you've got most people have got loads of fat under their skin to burn and that's not even, and I haven't even started going into things like ketosis and producing ketones because that's another fuel source. So you've got several fuel sources before you start having to rely on carbohydrates, but people just don't understand that. Yeah, and another um, thing I, I think I asked you about this at the event was, do you sort of make different recommendations for um, your female athletes or, or the women that you work with versus the men on this basis? Because obviously there is... Um, women do need to retain a certain amount of, of body fat for fertility, um, especially, and I, I sort of, some of the runners I work with often will experience amenorrhea, so obviously the, the cycle completely disappears. So do you d adapt it slightly, or just, is it more like a case-by-case -case basis for you? A bit more of a case-by-case -case basis, I guess, you know, elite-type endurance female athletes, like particularly runners, are going to be very low can be very low body fat and then you know when you start hovering down below 12 percent and when you start getting into single digit body fat figures for women that becomes a problem because of the hormonal uh, issues that occur with that so that's just on a case-by-case -case basis it depends on the person and um, most kind of you know people who are just trying to keep women who are just trying to keep fit are generally not that low body fat so it's not something that they have to be over concerned about it's it's a lot more for me anyway it's a lot more of the kind of like full-time athlete runners triathletes who who really get their body fat down very low and then, yeah then it gets a bit more detail but uh, i don't know if you've heard of a, a company called metabolic effect uh, yeah you gave me um the the website when i was chatting to you at the event and um i went off and read it was a great article that you'd said to read on basically hormones and fat burning and also adapting um exercise around the menstrual cycle, menstrual cycle. yeah, yeah so absolutely I'm, brilliant website so i love I yeah love so i recommend any any females who are interested in this any women who are interested in particularly kind of like serious training uh women is to look them look those guys up because they you know they've gone into the kind of menstrual yeah you know what 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 exercise? How your exercise and nutrition should change based based on the time of the time of the month. 
What I loved about it is, um, I don't even know if I've actually mentioned it on our podcast before, but so the the general gist of it was, so during the actual menstrual cycle, so days one to seven of the menstrual cycle, um, I think it was that we were more insulin sensitive, so better at fat burning. So some cardio and a bit of strength because we were going to have an increased ability to build lean muscle would be better and a slightly higher carbohydrate intake. And then when we get that progesterone surge in the second half of the cycle, it was um, decrease carbohydrates and go for some more sort of HIIT training, interval training that's going to upregulate fat burning and improve insulin sensitivity. And that was like a very sort of shortened and and, um, simple, straightforward version of something that's a little bit more complicated. But I just thought it it was really nice a nice summary but I think most women feel that way like around the day the actual their cycle starts they often don't feel like maybe doing anything too intense or, or sort of interval based but maybe um you know like a light run or something like that and, and often women speak about needing more carbohydrates so I think it made a lot of sense and I think it's what the body almost feeds back to you around that time as well yeah 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 good summary I mean it's um that's 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 exactly it and a lot of my a lot of the time I'm saying to people is go on field and come up with all the fancy sciencey stuff in the world but if you're a healthy person your body will give you the right signals so um yeah that's why i'm always like listen to the body what were the um just um, quickly you mentioned some um lifestyle habits and so we've talked about sleep and obviously lots on nutrition um you briefly mentioned um earthing earlier um is that something that you sort of um go into quite a lot of detail with with your athletes I try not to do it initially because sometimes it can scare them. And, you know, <laughs> I was going to say, I thought it might. A, a weirdo, hippie kind of a guy. <laughs> but anyway, there's quite a lot of good evidence, um, a lot of good science behind the effect of the bodies. You know, we are, we are, we, we, our bodies conduct electricity, and um, a lot of a lot of the problems associated with how our Metabol- metabolism works is down to um, is down to how inflamed we can become, or how um, how misfiring how how our elect- our, our, our electron our elect- electricity flow, let's call it, is misfiring. And one of the ways that you can counteract that misfiring is by earthing it, or like when you plug when you wire up a plug, there's three uh, wires, and one of them is to earth that plug. Uh, our, our bodies are, are the same. We need to be earthed. We need to be connected with the earth. And if you do that, it'll lower your lower inflammation and will help your metabolism work better. And that's a really simple explanation of a very complex subject. <laughs> and what do you d- suggest? Because I know a lot of people come up with it's more of a almost like a physical barrier because they live in a flat on a fifth floor. And so, um, you know, you're going to sort of suggest they wander down barefoot for for 20 minutes or do you use it yeah, mats or yeah when one of the thing a simple thing i do every morning is i get up with one of the first things i do is i just go outside walk out barefoot on the grass and just literally for a few minutes just like connect with the earth and see what the weather is like and breathe some fresh air and if you've got a garden that's quite easy to do if you're yeah if you're in the fifth story of a, an apartment block it's a lot harder to do in that case I'm kind of recommending people to do various things like just, you know, at lunchtime, I don't know, find a park and, you know, sit on a bench and just take your shoes and socks off or go for a <laughs> walk in the, in the nearby uh, park or around your nearby soccer pitch or whatever. Uh, it's, it's all dependent on yeah, weather, uh, proximity, um, what part of the world you're living in, what kind of house you're living in, what kind of apartment. Yeah, so it's all depending. But bottom line is get your shoes and socks off and get onto some form of natural grass, earth, beach, even better. Do that every day, you'll feel a lot better. And so you don't, I know because some people are taking it to another level and they're sleeping on earthing mats and all sorts of things. You don't tend to go down that route. You're more like keep it natural if you can. You can get the, I mean, there are earthing mats you can use. Again, um, there's a little bit of controversy about the, or their effectiveness. Um, there's another thing called a magnetical sleep pad, which is a lot more effective, but is also a lot more expensive. And if you are, yeah, if there's no way you can be connected with the earth, which I don't think there should ever be, I don't think that should ever be an obstacle, so to speak. I think you should do everything possible to <laughs> make sure you have got grass near you or whatever. Yeah, I don't think you should ever just rely on, uh, you know, technology 
so to speak, to try and fix something that should be done naturally. So uh, it gets expensive as well. Like like you said, they're expensive gadgets to have, and people are already trying to invest quite a lot in their nutrition and um, you know other other sort of health things. So it does get to be this big long list of spend, spend, spend. Yes, exactly. And most things can be done without spending. Um, spending. It just takes a bit of effort. And that's the bit that people are forget or are. are don't want to do and what about sort of restorative um measures again with athletes or with yourself what do you tend to do days off in terms of improving um anything from flexibility or just just relaxing generally again i try and do uh, one of the things i try and do is be outside as much as possible so i think circadian rhythm is dictated by not just how much black uh, darkness you have at night time but it's actually dictated by how much light you get in during the day so Depending on your work and where you live, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, I'm always trying to be outside. I started doing a, a lot of mobility type work and uh, move not move not. Have you heard of move not? Yeah, yeah, awesome. Yeah, so um, you know, I'm always just trying to do simple things like squats and jumps and um, crawling and things like that. And then you know, there's lots of other things you can use. Everything from music to, I mean, I've been doing mindfulness meditation just for a few minutes most days as well. I think that's a huge beneficial thing that anyone can do. Um, uh, I think apart from sleep and nutrition, I think uh, yeah, my, mindfulness is probably one of the most important things that people need to work on as well. Well, out of all the things that, that we've chatted about, where do you see people sort of neglect the most? So out of sleep, um, you know, recovery, even like the mindfulness, meditation, nutrition, where do you, and exercise generally, where do you think they sort of tend to cut corners a bit? Not necessarily, I don't know if you call it cutting corners, I think what they neglect, so to speak, forgetting and neglecting how to connect with nature and the outside world. We're caught up to today in everything from offices to cars to houses to shopping centres to always being generally cooped up inside with artificial lights and technology um, and not being as outside and close to nature like we should be. Um, when you start looking into how the body functions and how the body reacts and how the body's you know, like metabolism and physiology and hormonal systems work, endocrine system works, it's actually all dictated by your connection and the laws of nature but that where, in terms of exposure to daylight exposure to the ground the earth water trees um and people are just neglecting that today we've been removed from our natural kind of um habitat and then the second thing that's killing everybody i think really bad i hate to say is today's technology unfortunately it's great for a few things like what we're doing now but wi-fi electricity that's called non-native electromagnetic frequencies, which is everything from Wi-Fi to iPhones to microwaves, messing up, messing us up, uh, messing up our yeah, the way our bodies function, basically. So if we can get closer to nature and if we can get off our iPhones and our iPads more, we'll be a lot healthier. Yeah, and you know that I think that's awesome advice, and I couldn't agree more. We um, recently got a we got a dog last year, and um, I mean, don't get me wrong, he's stressful at times, but one of the best things he's done for us is. Uh, we have to get out twice a day regardless and at weekends we do like some some big walks with him and yeah def- that's something that I've just felt a huge benefit from and recently just before the podcast started I mentioned I'm working with a, a coach who's helped me a bit with mindfulness and meditation and his first um, strict instruction for me was stop taking the iPhone out when you do your walks yep. when you're outside you're outside um, leave all the electronic stuff behind and it's just been it's actually been um, really liberating because he sort of said when you're out then you will really appreciate what you're seeing what you're smelling you know and the the, the sense of being outside and, and you definitely do um, and I did mention to you I actually got my phone nicked which I'm sure is a bit of a blessing in disguise as well but yeah I couldn't agree more yeah um, I mean I see people running today and cycling plugged in iPhones I I iPhones and things strapped earphones in Garmin watches and their and power meters and all they're doing is looking at those things and they're forgetting about the most important things to look at and that's you know the landscape and the nature that's around you it's interesting because I actually didn't think I could run without without music I, I never have done for years I've always run with music and um 
and then his his advice to me was listen to your breath and um and then use your breath to sort of um also monitor the run like are you running fast enough or are you running too fast as well and it was a great bit of advice actually it's really helped me um so when I am feeling a bit distracted I focus on my breath and then again just like you've said try and look outside and what everything else that's going on just take that in exactly I mean it's so simple but again like something you said um we can't package it up and you know it, we can't make a fancy product of it that people online so um that's why people don't do it you know i think the other side of it that's quite hard is that this information isn't really out there in the public arena um i've been to a few events and asked about is anyone doing any studies about the impacts of exposure to electromagnetic frequencies and and the answers by some top sort of um you know, scientists have been no, and there never will be because no one wants you to know about this stuff. Um, yeah, which is I mean, it goes scary. a lot deeper in terms of in terms of um, well, put it this way: the biggest industries in the world are pharmaceutical, electronic industries. So they don't want you knowing what the bad stuff is. Yeah, yeah, it's very really uh, scary. It goes pretty deep in terms of how governments work, how funding works, how yeah, what the public are being told. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that, uh, this would be quite a good time to mention. Just before, again, we start recording, you said that you're starting some um, monthly workshops in Dublin. Yeah, just outside Dublin, actually. Um, it's something um, I've been thinking about for the last few years. And finally, um, kind of, um, it's come together. And I'm running it with two other guys. Um, one is a technical running coach and a bit of a whiz kid. And the other guy is a movement specialist. And by movements, we're, we're, we're talking about things like functional movement and mobility and move not he's move not certified as well and what we're trying to do is uh integrate kind of all the factors that govern your health and performance like so it's not just like how much um sweet potatoes and uh macadamia nuts you're eating it's it's everything you know it's all the stuff that we've been just talking about here over the last hour and it's more stuff related to biomechanics, your posture, your movement, your foot strike, your um, your obviously your sleep, earthing, timing. <clears throat> There's so much to it. And what we're doing is we're running two-day workshops um, over the weekends, and we're going to be running one a month, every month next year, hopefully. We've got a few people from the UK flying in. It's in a beautiful setting. It's outside Dublin in a place called Glendalough, which is a beautiful mountain valley region with a big lake and it you know it's a really nice setting and yeah we're just we're taking people on and bringing them through showing them how to do all these things and doing one-to-one stuff with them and it's just it's just for two days so um if people want to look that up it's the website we're using is called championseverywhere.com and you'll see the um the details and the booking information for these workshops so um you know, there are people, if there's people in the UK listening to this, it's something that if you're interested in, you could book some cheap Ryanair flights over to Dublin and, and get yourself out here. I think I might come along. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And is Everyone, it, is... as I say, we're targeting, it's not just, like, people think I'm just like, oh, I just work with professional cyclists, that is kind of, professional cyclists, and, that, and that's it. It's like, what I've realised over the years is that everything related to my everything related to nutrition and even just general kind of training and exercise can be applied to anybody you don't have to be a professional athlete to get benefits from it and in fact i get more gains from working with non-professional probably athletes than i do from from full-time kind of tour de france guys you know yeah and that's the beauty of kind of what these workshops are they're kind of like applicable to everybody i mean we're looking at kind of taking on you know not like people uh, post What's it called after? <laughs> this is terrible. After pregnancy. Um, oh, postnatal. Postnatal. Yeah, I mean, for I mean, a lot of what we would can recommend can be applied to even people like that, or yeah, absolutely. El- you know, even elderly people, or just just office workers, or whatever. But anyway, uh, a lot of people can get benefits from it. We're initially targeting general fit athletes and stuff like that so um people want to look it up they can just look up championseverywhere.com no it sounds absolutely awesome and so that no one has to have a fitness background they can just come along because they want to learn about being healthy yeah not really i mean at the the moment like i said we're doing kind of um you know the next one we're doing is for is a general kind of we're calling it basically an endurance athlete so it's any runner triathlete or, or cyclist and then over the you know next few months we'll be doing um we'll be opening up just to kind of you know general gym goers let's say yeah things like that so um yeah it can be for anyone really you should get some personal trainers on board i think they because they could then start to sort of 
again like translate all the information back to their clients but i know when yeah, good point yeah well, that's the other thing we want to do we want to run a coaching just for our coaches and, and personal trainer a workshop you know absolutely i was gonna say when i was a personal trainer i knew everything there was to know about a kettlebell but if you'd have mentioned earthing or getting outside or you know circadian rhythm i didn't have a clue about any of that yeah no, <laughs> most people don't so um that's the kind of beauty of it. And um, we've got to, before um, we finish it, we've just been going for over an hour, so um, we have to know your Baz's burger recipe. And actually, give us a few other um, recipes or tips, if we can, on sort of what how you fuel your, or you don't fuel, we've just gone over that, but, um, you know, some of your best recipes that you use on a weekly basis. Um, Baz burgers, so I make these kind of weekly anyway. When I was living in, uh, been living in Italy for the last two years, what I was doing was go to, always go to the butchers and get my meats, obviously. I was getting 70% beef. I always go for rib mints. I don't go for the lean stuff. I go for the rib, it's fattier. I go for 70% beef and 30% pork mints. Um, and that gives a really nice blend to um, a taste to the, t- to, the, to the burger when you mix kind of beef and the pork together. And then I just add whatever spices and herbs that you have that you want to use with that. But one thing I consistently use would be turmeric because of the anti-inflammatory effects of, of curcumin, which is contained in turmeric. And then everything else from, um, you know, cayenne pepper to um, to dried chili or if you want some spice and then rosemary and any other, the, any kind of dried herbs or organo or whatever you want to put in. I don't use anything to bind that because usually my meats are fatty enough that um, I don't need to add egg or anything like that to bind it. I just throw all the herbs and spices and the meat into a bowl, mix it all up and then hand craft my, um, my into a burger type shape. That would be, and then you, I just like usually seal it, grill the pan on two sides and then finish it off in the oven. So, um, I usually serve that then with either some sweet potato wedges and that's my burger and chips or I'd serve it with grilled courgette and pepper and eggplant um, I have things like I make my own guacamole simply with just like avocado diced tomato some olive, olive oil salt and pepper a drop of uh, some some chopped chili and a bit of lime if you want but um yeah i like just making kind of chunk guacamole have you got any um fish dishes like for people that don't like fish we're always looking like how to disc oily fish and um in some of our recipes have you got any tips there i love i love oh yeah i love i love just cook fish should be cooked cooked simply as you know i mean usually what i try and get people to do is go for the meteor type fishes first so get them on like get them on a salmon fillet and wrap it in pancetta or something like that or wrap it in um, bacon usually works because it's a meteor type of um, oily fish the other thing I was I was making recently was um, fish pie so I was using actually a Jamie Oliver recipe it's really easy because you just grate all the veg into then you add your meat your fish um, and that can be just like bits of salmon and bits of hake and cod and some smoked fish if you want Add some cream, creme fraiche and lemon to it. Um, and then over the top of it, you put uh, smashed sweet potato. That's what makes a really kind of a pie. It makes a really nice pie. And in there, if you've got the veg and you've got this obviously sweet potato on top and you've got the creaminess from the creme fraiche. So that might be good for some non-fish lovers, something to get them into. Yeah, we've got a similar one that we use coconut milk. I've never tried it with creme fraiche. So that's quite that's a lovely idea. Are you quite big on the dairy as well? You keep dairy in for for most of your. I keep dairy in depending on the quality of it. So that if it's uh, I like obviously using like grass fed based dairy and fermented type dairy in the form of cream or cheeses or butter. I'm not big on milk unless it's raw milk. And then I depend. It's on the ethnicity and where the person is from. Milk is pretty good. Our dairy is pretty good over here. Dairy products are probably one of the best dairy products in the world here in Ireland. Well, you've got this the home with, uh, of Kerrygold, isn't it? So yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> if I'm working with a Brazilian mountain runner, probably not going to get them. Um, uh, dairy is probably not going to be something that's going to be agreeable with them. So yeah. It can be very individual, but dairy isn't bad necessarily for everybody. Quality is key, and then then tolerance of lactose and casein and a few other dairy proteins is important as well. And I just guess one last question: Do you have like a cheat food that you go to? I often mention that it's peanut M and M's for me that just about twice a year just seem to feature somewhere. (laughs) I probably would be uh, yeah. I'm more of a cheat. It would probably be alcohol. So I'm big into my craft beers. Oh, really? Oh. Which aren't very paleo, obviously. But um, 
yeah, I've got a brother who's a head brewer in a in a craft brewery, so I'm um I'm big into my in and craft craft beers here in Ireland have really taken off, and uh, yeah, so that's that's what I kind of like dabbling in. I was going to say we did say in our book if you're going to have it, make sure it's something like a craft beer, so it's got a little bit more effort and thoughts gone into the processing of it. Yeah, but not just that; it's going to be cleaner and contain less additives and uh, better quality ingredients better hops better malt and better water do you know what we'll have to get you to do a guest blog for us on the difference between craft beers and a a pint of heineken i think Uh, that would be one of our most popular articles that'll be a longer longer podcast than this one Oh, awesome. Well, it's been absolutely amazing speaking to you and um, we could go on and on. There's loads more. I had more questions here, but we, we do try and keep it to an hour. So um, I'm sure what we'll do probably is when Matt's back, um, get you on again. And uh, maybe after you've won, uh, run one of your, um, it was Primal 3, the event, wasn't it? You, Primal you 3, yeah. Primal 3. So maybe once you've uh, run one of those, we can get back in touch and just um, ask you how it went, what happened, what everyone got up to and um, and you give some feedback. But I'm sure there's going to be some great feedback from all the stuff that we've discussed today so it'd be great to get you back on yeah cool thanks for having me on Karis no awesome and uh, yeah keep going with everything and we'll be following you I'm sure uh, where can people find out about you actually Is it, um, so we've got your website uh, which is um, no you go ahead you shout it all out it's kind of long I'm thinking of changing it but anyway optimum <laughs> nutrition for sport is one word uh, dot com so people that's my website which has a lot of articles and blogs and things like that the other, obviously, way of if you want to keep up to date with stuff and what I'm talking about is face my Facebook or Twitter page. So just look up on for sport or optimal nutrition for sports. It's a Facebook page and on for sport is the is the Twitter handle and uh, yeah, that's how you can keep keep a keep keep abreast of these things on, these days on good old um, social media. But not when you're outside. No, exactly. <laughs> cool. Uh, we'll share all that on our page when we um, when we put the podcast up as well, so people can just um, link through. But yeah, it's been absolutely amazing speaking to you, and uh, we'll speak again soon. Cool. Thanks. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Bye.